0: Welcome to the Ord Minute Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is generally nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs.
1: Yes, welcome to the podcast, the Ord Minute Podcast. My name is Nick Burgess uh, and this is where we make sense of the market, look at the key developments and trends and showcase some of our research and in fact our guest today is simon kent jones from the ords research team and i'll introduce him properly shortly Uh, but first to the topic at hand today ethical and responsible investing Um, easily the number one requested topic on this podcast over the last few years in its various iterations and certainly a growth area for both investors and investment markets Um, A recent survey by the Responsible Investment Association Australasia found that 86% of respondents thought that their superannuation and investments should be done ethically and responsibly, and key issues or concerns mentioned included the use of fossil fuels, human rights abuses, the use of armaments, and animal cruelty. So not, not surprisingly at all that this is a growing market. Depends on how you defined it, but that really core, fully accredited ethical investing sector as defined by data provider Plan for Life, they say that funds invested in the sector have grown by about 25% over each of the last couple of years, including through the COVID period. Having said that though, market share of this core sector is only about 8% of the overall Australian market, so potentially plenty of growth for responsible and ethical investing as we look ahead. Um, There's a lot of detail around the sector, particularly the various ways in which responsible investing is actually carried out. I tend to think of the sector in terms of shades of grey or perhaps shades of green, if you will, from a lighter touch around governance to then moving up the spectrum, negative screens, excluding certain stocks or sectors from the portfolio, to perhaps heavier touch, heavier shades of green, such things as impact investing and advocacy. But there are lots of issues to consider, and we're going to try and make sense of some of that today with our guest, Simon Kent-Jones, Ord Minutes, Head of Private Client Research. Welcome to the podcast for the first time, Simon. Thanks, Nick. Glad to be here. So for first-timers, Simon, how about a a bit of a personal introduction? How long have you been at Ord's, and uh, what does your role encompass?
0: Sure. So I started at Auds in 2006. So I've been here a while. I started as investment strategist and then picked up the role of head of private client research not long afterwards. Uh, my role primarily focuses on overseeing the research that is provided to our private client advisors and to our private client network. I am also responsible for the portfolio management of a number of our managed account portfolios. So, around about 10 years ago, we established a relationship with an investment platform called Hub24. I'm sure some of the listeners will be familiar with that. And one of the features of that platform is that we've got the ability to run managed account portfolios. So, what those portfolios entail are holdings in direct stocks. And we make the decision on behalf of clients as to what we invest and we manage the whole portfolio. So, our longest running portfolio was established in September 2011. So, it's coming up to its 10-year anniversary. Uh, But we also have portfolios covering uh, emerging companies, Australian emerging companies, interest rate securities, uh, and international equities portfolio. We've picked up a couple of multi-asset portfolios from the merger with BLNC Values uh, last year, and they're run by Mel Wood, and the topic of today, uh, the Responsible Equities Portfolio as well.
1: So, yeah, you mentioned the Responsible Equities Portfolio, Um, you got it up and running. Um, So let's start perhaps with um, your personal philosophies and I guess the reason for getting the portfolio up and running in the first place.
0: Sure. So, after we'd set up a few of the earlier portfolios and we had uh, a certain level of success, uh, we thought that there was a growing demand from a number of our clients. It tended to be uh, not-for-profits, religious organisations, and so on. So, uh, uh, and and from a personal level, I think it's it's in- incredibly important that we consider the potential impact that we that we have. And I'm also of the belief that um, it shouldn't necessarily detract from your investment performance if you invest
1: in these kinds of in kinds of companies. Because the belief
0: is that over time that the investment market will come to realise that these companies will see better profitability because of the way that they operate and the way that they behave and that there's so really there's an underlying investment idea behind investing in these kinds of companies as well
1: yep okay makes sense so what's your approach esg and ethical and responsible investing it's a big area it can be confusing as as uh, we mentioned at the top of the podcast what is your approach to the odd minute um responsible equities portfolio
0: so, the, the framework that we developed is, is first of all, um, we wanted to account for three areas. So, environment, social and governance. And I'll step through those in a, in a little while. But we also, uh, the, the, the way that we structured the portfolio is we tended to want some of the, the larger companies on the stock market just so that people could gain some some comfort around what we're investing with and some familiarity. So the, um, the starting point was an investment universe that drew from the ASX 100 Industrials Index. So that excludes resource companies, both mining companies, oil and gas. Not that we necessarily think that they're bad corporate citizens but just to try and remove that from the discussion or remove that distraction from potential with potential investors that would see that as a barrier to investing in the portfolio then what we decided was that we wanted to then restrict or prevent investing in companies that were involved in certain sectors that were probably a no-go zone for people. So we're talking about adult entertainment, alcohol, controversial weapons, you mentioned that at the start, gaming and tobacco. So the way that we can do it is we utilise an external information provider. It's a group called MSCI, and they run an extensive Database of information about companies covering environmental, social, and governance factors. And they draw that from publicly available information. And so we were able to set up an algorithm that we could run. All the potential companies that we could invest in and screen out those companies that derive more than a certain percent of revenue from those particular areas, adult entertainment, alcohol, controversial weapons, gaming and tobacco. And we set that that limit at 10 percent of revenue. And so that further excluded some companies that um, obviously operate in those areas. So gaming, for for example, you know, the topic at the moment that you read in the newspapers is, is Crown Casino and the problems they're having at the moment. Utilising that screening factor, we, we're able to prevent any investment in Crown, for example, because they derive at least 10% of revenue from, from, from gaming. So after that point, we're then able to identify companies on the basis of... What we term wrongdoings. So, if they have transgressions that we would consider in a, inappropriate. So, for example, another topic that we've seen over the last uh, couple of years is the underpayment of staff. And um, there's been a number of companies that have failed to pay their staff the full amount that they that they're due. Some companies have recognized that and and tried to deal with it. Some companies have been a little more lax in the way that they respond to that. So we can try and identify those and then make a judgment as to whether that's whether they've dealt with that problem or whether it's an endemic problem. And then the last thing that we try and do is and this is this is really the the area of the portfolio that's that's a real work in progress and that's trying to apply positive factors within the portfolio. So trying to identify and target companies that have a positive impact on the environment, social, and governance spheres, which we believe ultimately leads to a better aligned portfolio. And hence that's this this whole process that we're continually applying to the portfolio allowed us to establish and maintain this portfolio um, over that time.
1: Yeah okay so you start with industrials, you exclude um, those five factors, you then uh, steer away from wrongdoing and and now you're trying to add some positive factors and it sounds to me Simon, so without putting words in your mouth. In terms of the spectrum, it's you know certainly well advanced on just the, the sort of governance piece, and sort of to the to the mid and with positive factors towards the perhaps getting up towards the the middle to, to higher end of the possible uh, things that you could do in in this uh, in this area.
0: Yeah, that's that's certainly the case, and it is it is a work in progress. I suppose one of the interesting things, and I knew. Coming into into this as we're establishing this that there was there was really one important factor and that that really running an ESG portfolio is an exercising compromise. So we're always trying to judge companies based upon what they're doing or what they've what they've done or the areas that they're operating in and trying to make a decision as to whether it's appropriate to be investing in these companies or whether we should be excluding these these companies and so you know a good a good example of that is is the is the banking sector so it's very clear that the that the banking sector has had a lot of problems as evidenced by the royal commission into into financial services And that you know wasn't appropriate that we invest in that sector purely because that there was a lot of things that banks did that they shouldn't have been doing. So it was it was a challenging period for us as an ESG investor to say, yes, we'll continue holding some of those banks, but then, you know, you've you've then got to make the decision, okay, um, they've been through that period. How do they respond to that period? Are they making the appropriate adjustments? Will they be a better corporate citizen as a result? You know, time time will tell, but, you know, that was certainly a challenging Time to be an investor in in those in those banks over that over that period of time.
1: And, and so, if I look through the portfolio at the moment, so uh, you mentioned banks, um, and, and I've got a couple of questions around that. But we, the portfolio at the moment is overweight financials, overweight healthcare, which I guess is is pretty obvious, and then overweight property. So, getting back to the banks, and I, I look yep. through what stocks are in the portfolio. So. A and CBA, and NAB are in there, and Westpac aren't. So is that you saying that you know three of the banks are making progress to some of those issues that have been identified, and perhaps Westpac is uh, is a bit of a laggard in that regard?
0: It's interesting that you that you raise Westpac. We we used to have Westpac, and then sort of around the time that the uh, the royal commission was was taking place, news came out that they were involved in a number of Transactions where there was potentially they hadn't accounted for money laundering and other nefarious uh, applications through through the banking system, and these transactions numbered in the, in the in the millions, and we'd sort of stretched it to a certain extent and and, and decided that that was perhaps a, a step too far. And so we made the decision to actually exit Westpac. And we didn't hold National Australia Bank at the time, but uh, we swapped Westpac for, for National Australia Bank.
1: And what, what consideration, if any, do you give with the banks, for instance, on who they're lending to? I mean, I guess there's two factors there responsible lending and responsible behaviour. But then there's also, you know, perhaps the sectors that they lend to. So if they're heavy. Heavy, um, heavy lenders to the resources sector, or perhaps some of those sectors that you would prefer not be in the portfolio. Those excluded sectors.
0: It's really topical at the moment. Nick. So, for, for example, in the in the last uh, four or five months, the port of Newcastle, which is the largest export terminal for thermal coal in the in the world, we're seeking some refinancing. Prior to that, ANZ and, and NAB were some, part of the that bank consortium that was lending money to the to the port. With the refinancing, ANZ decided that they would no longer feel comfortable lending to them, but National Australia Bank decided that it uh, that it was still comfortable with with doing so. So, you know, we're facing that sort of decision all all the time. So. Uh, for some people, ANZ made the right decisions. Others, NAB applied some caveats on that lending. You could argue that they were fairly light, but um, that NAB were seeking some kind of improvement around the environmental impacts that was was occurring through Port of Newcastle, um, but you could argue that you know it's still it's still financing a um, major resource area and one of the areas that's responsible for large amounts of carbon emissions into the, into the atmosphere, which is has some some really disastrous effects. So you know, I, I suppose what we're continually trying to do is um, try and assess what NAB is doing and how much that represents and whether that's a growing part of its its lending book or whether it's a, it's a shrinking part of its, its lending book. And obviously
1: we'd favour if it was a smaller and smaller part of of their lending book over, over time. And moving on to some other sectors, and as you say, it's an exercise in compromise and none of this is particularly um, straightforward or easy. But in the industrials sector, I, I note that um, Cube Holdings, Sydney Airport and Transurban are, are in the portfolio. Um, and you know, yeah, all three of those are yeah very very strong businesses. Um, but I, I, I guess in some ways too, they are, are involved in uh, sort of carbon emissions uh, through their um, through their day to day operations. So the thought process around those industrial businesses.
0: So cubes cubes are really good e- example where they're involved in marine ports logistics transporting all those sorts of sorts of things the reality is a lot of those um, those activities are going to continue into the future when you know we're not suddenly going to be able to stop transporting materials across the sea or transporting them via land whether it's via road or whether it's via trains or whatever i suppose what cube Q- is trying to do in its operations is making them as efficient as possible. And in doing so, that has a number of benefits, including if they can do that more efficiently, it means that there is less fuel consumed in that process. So, if they can get goods off a ship Say containers, get them to a distribution warehouse or get them onto a rail system as easily, as quickly, as efficiently as possible, and get it to its end destination with as little friction as possible, then that's a better outcome than without the efficiencies of its logistics network. So we see groups like Cube. And in that whole supply chain, another example that we hold there is, is Goodman Group, which owns a number of industrials and industrial and logistics properties. And it's the, the more efficient, the the better that these companies get it in, in their particular areas of expertise means that those sorts of things become efficient in a number of ways. So we think that there is actually a, a, a reason why we should be supporting these kinds of companies to allow this sort of um, activity to continue with as essentially to minimize the impact of that activity. Same goes with with transurban groups. So they own a number of tollways, um, you know, I live in Sydney. You can't get around Sydney much without spending spending tolls. But what it does is allows people to transport across cities in the most efficient way possible. The alternative is they don't have you don't have uh, toll roads and. You have long traffic queues and people are stuck in those and um, churning through a significantly higher level of fuel. So if we can try and, you know, if you can consider these sorts of infrastructure groups as means of making day-to-day life more efficient, then I think that's justified in holding those companies.
1: Just let's just touch on the risks and pitfalls. Obviously, there are lots of different ways of defining and labelling things. You know, from your perspective, what do investors in general need to look out for um, with responsible and ethical investing? You know, what is greenwashing? How do you account for that in the companies you invest in, and, and what are some of the other um, risks you need to be aware of?
0: Yeah, so so greenwashing is is really the the process that. Some companies might engage in to try and essentially promote the green aspects of their operations, but in in so doing they, they tend to try and want to hide some of their less green green behavior. so it's it's sort of a, almost a cynical exercise in the in the way that they that they operate. The requirements certainly here in Australia is that um, companies need to report on a certain level of environmental, social and governance standards, so you can read annual reports that detail some of these things. You could say that some companies just give it some lip service, others are more genuinely engaged in that that process and, and, and what it means. So, you know, a good a recent example of that is, uh, is Woolworths. So prior to the spin-off of Endeavour Group, which holds its, its pubs and alcohol business, which owns things like Dan Murphy's and, and BWS, that it was considered a no-go zone by responsible investors. So, for example, if, uh, applying that 10% Rule that we had to this point, we haven't been able to invest in, in in Woolworths because prior to this to this point, they were the largest retailer of uh, tobacco, they were the largest retailer of alcohol. They own more gaming machines than any other company in Australia. So, on on the basis of those restrictions, we didn't want to hold hold Woolworths. But by spinning off Endeavour Group, it uh, potentially allows a different group of investors, of responsible investors or ethical investors, now to look at at Woolworths afresh without Endeavour Group, and to see whether that is is appropriate for their investment mandate. And if we if we apply that same sort of thinking to to West Farmers, which used to own Coles a couple of years ago, it spun out. Coles. Coles was in a similar position to Woolworths, where it um, was a large tobacco retailer, uh, alcohol retailer, through its entertainment area, owned a number of pubs which had gaming machines and so on. Spinning that out of Wes Farmers freed up Wes Farmers from those, those particular areas. And as a result, we were actually able to own Wes Farmers under our framework, and we currently own West farmers because of the change, its its business portfolio.
1: And uh, speaking of governance, I guess it's important to practise what you preach, and you <laughs> published a benchmarking report of your portfolio uh, in February, uh, 2021, February this year. So tell us what that, uh, the purpose of that benchmarking report and, and what it showed.
0: We thought that it was really important to set out to investors and to potential investors how true we are to our to our word and whether whether it stands up on what we what we talk about so using that that external group MSCI what we're able to do is have a look at a number of the different factors under environment social and governance so under environment, we're talking about things like climate change, natural capital. So things like water stress, biodiversity, land use, all those sorts of things, pollution and waste, and also environmental opportunities. So whether they're promoting opportunities in clean technology, green building, all those sorts of things. Under social, things like human capital, so labour management, uh, the supply chain, whether they're using sweatshops, those sorts of things. Um, product liability, so safety of their of their products, some stakeholder opposition and social opportunities. And then finally, under governance, um, both corporate governance, so things like board, composition, pay, ownership, uh, and then also corporate behaviour, you know, things like business ethics, anti-competitive practices, and so on. So using the database from, uh, from MSCI, we can drill down into each of those and quantify how each company measures on each of those factors. So in total, we look at 36 key issues under those main three groups, environmental, social, and governance. So we went through the process of measuring each of those for our portfolio for our benchmark for the ASX100 industrials and then also the broader uh, ASX100, which also incorporates resource companies. And so we're able to, to get a handle on how true to label we are and whether we exceed those, those benchmarks in each of those areas. And the report revealed that when it comes to the environmental measures uh, were ahead of both the ASX 100 industrials and the ASX 100 by a by a fair way. But what we'd also done in, in that process is saying, okay, these are the stocks that we hold, which helped drive that outperformance. But also, because we h- held this other group of stocks, they actually detracted from that. From that school. So we tried to be very honest as to say these are the stocks which are good environmentally that we hold, and these are the stocks that uh, uh, could could do better. We also then went through the process of saying, okay, if we there's stocks that we don't hold, but if we did hold these, it would improve our, our score even better. We did the same with our social uh social score we were slightly ahead i'll have to say that more generally across the market the scores were pretty low so um the australian market has a bit of a way to go still on the social and then finally on governance we were actually slightly behind just uh, we were touched behind but nonetheless we were behind those those border benchmarks so again trying to identify companies that we hold which have good governance practices; those that have practices that aren't up to scratch, and then also companies that, if we held these, these would actually improve our score. On the back of that, we actually um, did some portfolio changes to try and improve the scoring of, of of the portfolio to try and adjust things up. So it was a, it was a really important exercise in seeing where where we're at versus benchmarking. And I suppose the the other thing as well. Um, I'm not aware of any other responsible portfolios in the Australian market that have actually gone through this, gone through this process. Um, so I think it's we're happy to be leaders in this in this area. But um, it's it's an important exercise as as a portfolio manager um, to really understand what um, what we're holding, and then the final thing we've been able to get out of this report is that we can actually sit down with clients who invest in these portfolios and explain what is what is happening. And um, the response we've had so far from, from clients um, has been really positive. Um, you know, even if there are compromises, they Think it's very important that we're actually going through this process, that we go through this thought process of why why we invest in these stocks and how we could improve, and that that alone is 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 certainly important for uh, for, for investors.
1: There we go. A walk around ethical and responsible investing with Audmanette. Um, You can speak with your Ordmanet or Bailieu advisor for more detail around Simon's responsible equities portfolio or indeed any of Simon's um, investment portfolios and, of course, for that benchmark uh, report that he mentioned that is also uh, available. Simon Kent-Jones, thank you very much for your time.
0: Thanks very much. Great to talk to you.
1: And we'll be back very soon with another episode of this podcast. So until then, take care and goodbye.
0: You have been listening to the Ord Minute podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessment about the suitability of the financial
1: products or services mentioned.